Okay, would you please take your copy of the Word of God? I hope you bring it with you every week, and let's turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be doing verses 20 to 24. In that clip that we saw this morning, Jesus asked the penetrating question, who do you say that I am? And there was one man, the Spirit of God moved to uh, come out with the truth of that, and who he is is the Son of God, the King of the world, the Messiah. And uh, that's the most uh, important question to answer in our lives because we uh, don't want to end up in hell. We want to end up in heaven. And what we do with Jesus Christ makes all the difference. Today, the first question that I would like to ask is this. Will people in the world be condemned if they have never heard about salvation in Jesus Christ? What about those people? No one has ever named the name of Christ among them. No one's ever told them about Jesus will they still end up in hell if they don't trust Jesus as Savior? And the Bible answers that in the, God, in the book of Romans, I should say, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. There it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, notice, for God made it evident to them. All people, whether they've heard the name of Christ preach, have heard the witness of the, of the Spirit of God inside of them that there is a God and that it is evident to them. It says in verse 24, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that, so the, re, the, the purpose, what's going to come from that is that, so that they are without excuse. So though no one has come and preached to them specifically about Jesus Christ, God has given them everything they need, enough that they will be condemned eternally if they don't come to faith in Christ. They are without excuse, Paul says in Romans. So that's the answer to our question. And friends, this is why missionaries work so hard and go all around the world trying to proclaim the gospel of Christ uh, to unreached people groups. It's why we also take time to stop what we're doing and talk to our neighbors and talk to our friends, anybody that will listen so that we can tell them how they can get to heaven when they die, how they can be friends with Jesus Christ. And if they're not friends with Jesus Christ, they're not going to make it. And that's why we want to try so hard. The other related question is this. Is the lake of fire, which is where people are going to go at the end of the age after God empties out hell and pours it into the lake of fire, is the lake of fire going to give the exact same punishment to everyone, no matter how bad they were? That is, I'm assuming Hitler ended up in hell. Uh, is Hitler going to be punished in hell at the same degree that your grandma, who didn't know Christ, is going to be punished, or your grandpa or some relative is going to be punished when they didn't do anything that Hitler did? And that's another question. That is, is uh, hell the same punishment for absolutely everyone? The biblical answer, as we shall see today, is no. It's not exactly the same. It's still hell, but God does punishment uh, in, a, in a very uh, fair way. God's punishment is, first of all, just. And he's not going to punish grandma the way he punishes Hitler in hell. They'll both be in punishment. They'll both be in flame. But it will be uh, a lesser punishment, I believe. With God, the punishment will be corresponding to the crime. The biggest crime is refusing to believe Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, that's the, the biggest one committed against God by any person. 
but hell is still hell. This passage answers the question, what causes God to denounce a person or even an entire nation or city, we can say as well. So if you have your Bible open, hope you do, uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be going from verse 20 down to verse 24, and I'm reading from a New American Standard. It says this, Then he, and that refers to Jesus Christ, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So you get that? Jesus did most of his powerful works in his ministries in certain cities, and they didn't believe him. They didn't believe he was the son of God, the savior of the world, and they did not repent. So he says specifically of some of them, woe, which is a pronouncement of doom and destruction. Woe to you, Chorazin, the name of one of those cities. Woe to you, Bethsaida, another city. For, the miracle, for if the miracles that occurred in you occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which are Gentile pagan cities, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. When you repented in those days, you put on sackcloth, you put ashes on your head to show that you were repentant. Nevertheless, I say to you, Jesus goes on, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now think about that. He's talking to people that are Jewish people. They, they uh, supposedly love God. Uh, they haven't trusted Jesus Christ. But he said, the Gentiles over on the Phoenician coast, those cities will have less of a judgment, less of a responsibility before God than you did. And your punishment will be greater. Ouch. Verse 23. And you, Capernaum, now this is Peter's hometown. Jesus had a base of operation there. He lived there at times. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to hell, for if the miracles had occurred in, that it had occurred in Sodom, which has occurred in you, it would remain to this day. Wow. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom, thinking Sodom and Gomorrah, in the day of judgment than it is for you. Wow. Wonder, what are we going to do with that as a nation, as a state, as a, as a county, as a city, and as a church? And that's what we want to talk about here today. Well, let's look at verse 20 first of all. He begins to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So what we learn there is that Jesus condemns those who experience his power but refuse to repent of their own sin. Now, that's always the case. Uh, every time we refuse to believe in Jesus, we're refusing everything about Jesus, every miracle that he did, everything that he taught, everything goes out into the trash when we refuse him. So while he's been teaching, and we were uh, into that last week, he's talking about uh, the fact that uh, it doesn't matter what we do for you people, whether we play a dirge or we play a dancing music like at a wedding, you won't listen to me, you won't do what I ask you to do. So while teaching, Jesus picks up that theme that no matter what I do, no one's happy. While teaching, he begins to denounce the cities in which the majority of his miracles while he was here, at least the recorded miracles, were performed. Those cities include specific ones, and he brings them up here in this passage. There's others, but these he talks about specifically. Now, the word in Greek in that verse that is uh, translated as denounce, here it's a very strong word can also be translated to be uh, uh, reproached by somebody or to reprimand somebody. Jesus is talking about a severe reprimand. 
In other words, Jesus' authenticating miracles were most prevalent in certain cities, and yet they did not move people to a place in their hearts where Jesus wanted to be. They would not accept him as the Messiah. They would not accept him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The performance of miracles, my friends, uh, has been proven throughout Bible history and in our own. The performance of miracles does not guarantee that people will recognize who Jesus really is. You would think that if somebody saw Jesus do a miracle in their life, they'd be on board right now. And the truth is, that's not right. I want to go to a few places uh, with you and look at some examples of this. Uh, Luke 16 is the first place I'd like to go. And if you think we're going to go to the story of Lazarus, you're right. Uh, Chapter 16 of Luke, verse 22. I'm going to pick it up there. The story's already begun. There's a rich man, there's Lazarus. One has everything he needs, the other one has nothing that he needs. In verse 22, it says, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So he's in the paradise side of, of eternity at this point. And the rich man also died and was buried. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. So the rich man didn't make it to paradise. He went to hell because of his rejection of of God. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, because there's a great chasm uh, between paradise and Hades, and he cried out so Abraham could hear him. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Uh, People in hell are not just spirits, they have bodies, and those bodies experience great pain. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all that, between us there is this great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come from one side to the other are not able to. You cannot cross over to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. In other words, let Lazarus arise from the dead, let him go back, and he's going to show up and talk to uh, his brothers and his relatives. He says, I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they also do not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the law of God. They have the word of God. And he says to him, uh, they have have Moses and the prophets, and uh, let them hear them. And Abraham said, if they want to know about this place, they need to look at the word of God, and it will tell them. That's all they have to do. And this guy argues and said, but no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. See, this guy is Jewish. And he's in hell. And he's calling out Father Abraham. And that's what the Jews of Jesus' day did. They said, well, uh, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if Abraham was your father, you'd do what Abraham did. And that was he believed in God. And you don't believe in God. Here's a guy that shows that. If someone goes back from the dead, if somebody rises from the dead, if they see the miracle of a resurrection, they will repent. And he said to them, him, if, if, he doesn't listen, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, They will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus, we're going to commemorate next week, is going to rise from the dead. We're going to have a sunrise service. We're going to celebrate communion again. We're going to be thinking about that first day of the week when Jesus was out of the tomb and Jesus rose from the dead and still people 
wouldn't believe him. Another illustration, Matthew 12, 22 to 24. Then a demon-possessed man, a demonized man who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man who was mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. In other words, Jesus is working by the power of Satan. Did they believe after the miracle? No, they didn't. They just... Uh, made fun of Jesus and said he's working by Satan. One more in John chapter 5, verses 11 to 16. John 5, 11 to 16. But he answered, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. So it's the guy that was lame. Jesus healed him. They don't know where Jesus is. And they're asking him, verse 12, who is the man that said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? See, they're mad because he did it on a Sabbath. But the man who was healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man didn't say thank you. He didn't bow at Jesus' feet, but he made it straightway uh, to the Jewish leaders in verse 15 and reported it was Jesus who did that, who made me well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus has a right to work on the Sabbath. But this guy and his miracle, his healing, he turned against Jesus. He didn't try to protect Jesus at all. My friends, Jesus was not happy with those who were all about signs and miracles like people are today but do not have proper faith. Uh, a couple of illustrations of that. Uh, we have a lot to look up this morning. I hope you're okay with that. Matthew 16, 4. Matthew 16, 4. Jesus says there, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. In other words, there are the people that say, hey, Jesus, why don't you impress me a little bit with all your power? Just impress me. And maybe I'll believe then, but you've got to prove who you are. Just impress me with signs. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except for the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. What was the sign of Jonah? It was a prophet, somebody showing up in town and calling you to repent and calling on you to no longer be a person that doesn't have faith. And if you don't believe that, then you're not bound for, for glory anyway. One other illustration in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. Mark 8, 11 to 13. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then leaving them again, he embarked and went away to the other side of the sea. Well, in verse 20 in the second part, here is why Jesus is condemning the cities that he saw, and they saw what he did, but they refused to believe. They did not repent in the face of God's power. That is, they did not feel remorse, repent, or be converted. They did not change their minds about salvation. That is, the change that God is looking for is that you change from being someone that uh, believes I'm going to get into heaven by what I do, 
and how good I am to being someone who knows I can't get into heaven by doing good. That I have nothing to offer God for salvation. He has everything to offer me. So multitudes need to change their minds about salvation. If you're here this morning, you're thinking you're going to get into heaven by being good. That's a lie. It's a lie from hell. You can't do that. You have nothing to offer God where he will say, I forgive you of all your sins except faith in Christ. It does not become a reality in our lives because we do good. Salvation is not doing good. It's repentance. Repentance is a change of mind where I say, I, I know I cannot work out my own salvation. I have nothing to offer God for my salvation. Salvation is by believing that Jesus took your place on the cross who paid for your sins. It includes being sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. And I trust fully in the fact that the death of Jesus paid for my sins on that cross. And that's the only way to the Father. He also rose again from the dead. It would be exciting. It's not going to happen. But on uh, next week at 6.15 a.m. and we're uh, reading through the scripture, if uh, we could see Jesus come out of the grave, you know, maybe give us a special picture of that uh, and show us what it was like. But, you know, there'd be people who still wouldn't believe if they saw that. It's, we don't believe because of what we see. We believe because uh, it is true. Uh, we are the people that need to learn to say, I am not the way. I am not the truth. I am not the life. There's only one who is that, and it's not us. It's Jesus. Jesus is all of those. So, friends, have you changed your mind and come to the truth? That's the issue. Have you changed your mind about thinking you can get in on your own? And have you come to the truth that you can't do it without Jesus? He's the only way. Well, in verses 21 to 22, we learn that even people notorious for their wickedness will fare better on their judgment day than the people who saw the majority of Jesus' testifying miracles and rejected him. That's a lot to just say uh, the people that saw more are going to pay more dearly if they didn't believe. People that saw less don't pay quite as much, but they still pay. In verse 21, Jesus pronounces woe on these towns. Now, these are neighboring towns around the Sea of Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Uh, there were people there hearing Jesus from those places who saw the miracles and didn't repent. It was more of a dog and pony show. Hey, the miracle worker guy's in town. Let's go see. Get the popcorn and, and get the Pepsi. Let's, let's go see what this is all about. It'll be fun. Well, Jesus didn't do this for fun. He did it for, for life. So he says, woe. And when God pronounces woe, he is saying to you, you are a person that is now devoted to pain and displeasure and a state of intense hardship. And that's what we would describe hell as. Now Jesus compares their hearts to those of those two cities that were pagan and often enemies of Israel, Tyre and Sidon. What are you bringing up Tyre and Sidon for? They're Gentiles. They're, they're pagans. They worship foreign gods. And uh, these were two cities not too far apart, maybe four miles, northwest of Israel on the Phoenician coast on the Mediterranean. Ezekiel 28 is a, a whole prophetic condemnation of Tyre uh, because Satan dwelt there. Jesus healed a Syrophoenician woman's daughter from this city, completely Gentile. She came and said, Lord, would you heal my, my, my daughter? And he said, uh, basically ignored her and said, you know, I came to the lost house of Israel, not Gentiles and Phoenicians. And, uh, you know, uh, this is not for you. Now, I want you to understand Jesus didn't mean that. He's testing his disciples. 
And uh, he said, it's not right to take what is meant for the children and give to the dogs. And she said, yes, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. You remember how impressed he was? When he looked at her and he said, woman, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. It's been done for you. Your daughter's healed. And Jesus was just trying to show the way you Jews look at these Gentiles is, is not the best. It's wrong. And you need to understand that there are people that are showing faith from those groups. Tyre was uh, conquered by Alexander the Great. They were untouchable until Alexander got there, and they were on an island. Their fortress was on an island. Nobody could mount an attack. And so what, what he did was he just got a bunch of dirt and rocks, and he built a causeway out to their island. Then he marched his troops out and killed them. Alexander uh, built that causeway to the island, and the leadership was marched out and killed. Sidon is where God sent Elijah and where the widow of Zarephath was. Jezebel was the daughter of a Sidonian king named Ethbaal, who married Ahab, king of Israel. Uh, they too were enemies of Israel, though both at times were included in the census of David because David controlled those areas, even though they were Gentile. Now the point is that there were people uh, in the area that Israelites looked down upon. And they were sinners, and they were pagans, and they were dirty, spiritually speaking. They didn't follow God. They followed pagan gods. And so you have to imagine that people listening to Jesus, did, did you hear what he said? Did he say what I think he said? Did he actually say that Tyre and Sidon will do better in judgment than us? Are you kidding? We're, we're Jews. We're Israelites. Come on. But Jesus was not kidding. He said, if Tyre and Sidon had seen what Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum had witnessed, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. Well, how hard are the hearts of the Israelites? Pretty hard. And then verse 22, the issue is that Tyre and Sidon will fare better in their judgment than all these uh, modern Israelite cities in Jesus' day. Since those cities had already been judged in history in heaven, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Think of the biggest sinner you know. Don't say any names out loud, please. Think of the biggest sinner you know. Maybe the most wretched, rotten, dirty person you can think of in your life. Doesn't like God, doesn't know God. And what if Jesus told you or me, he or she is going to do better in judgment than you will? <laughs> Are you kidding? Ouch, really? Really? And this lesson rises to the top that even cities will be judged together for what they have done. Someday there will be judgments on Smith Center, Kansas, and Lebanon, and Agra, and all the other places around us. The leadership will be judged for what they've done in the city. And the state of Kansas will be judged for being a state. I don't know how that works, but it's going to. But most importantly, friends, those who have more testimony and refuse it. These guys had all this powerful miracles going on. They had the teaching of Jesus Christ. He was in their presence. What else could you need? But most importantly, those who have more testimony and refuse it will be judged more severely than those who disbelieved with less of a witness. Tyre and Sidon did not have any of those great things going on in their cities. Their judgment will be less severe than those who knew better. And we better think about that, right? So in verses 23 and 22, 24, we learn that Capernaum, so here's Peter's hometown, Capernaum needed to know that Sodom, of all places, Sodom and Gomorrah, 
would be punished to a lesser extent than those who live in Peter's hometown. What? Capernaum will descend to hell for its rejection of the truth attested to them before them in the presence of Jesus, his miracles and his witness, and the witness of his apostles. When God is bearing witness to us in whatever form, and we refuse to repent, we indeed are in danger of the fires of hell. That's the warning. That's what he's been talking about to these people. You need to listen. You need to wake up. I don't want you to be in hell for the rest of eternity. Come to the love of the Father. Jesus would say, come to my love. And be careful, because there's false miracles in the world that are meant to lead people away from uh, the truth as well. Look back at Matthew 7.15. We already covered that once, but Matthew 7.15. Jesus says, and especially in these last days that we're in, because it's promised it'll happen then, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly are ravenous wolves. But you'll know them by their fruit, because grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes and figs from thistles, are they? Well, then you can't gather the truth from a false teacher or a false prophet. And then in Matthew 24, 23, So this is eschatological uh, stuff in Matthew 24. And he says in uh, verses 22 and 23, or 23 to 25, I'm sorry, 23 to 25. If anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and look, look at this, will show great signs and wonders so as, to mislead, uh, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect of God. And then Jesus said, look, I told you beforehand, don't believe this stuff. Only believe the truth that God gives you. That's the point. People often carry with them a false sense of righteousness and think that they are headed to heaven when they are not. And remember what Peter said. Let's look at it in Acts chapter 2. See, this is why you learn your books of the Bible in Awana, because we go all over the place, right? Acts 2.22, Peter is speaking. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. In other words, he's proven everything he needs to prove with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And he said this one was delivered over by God's predetermined plan to death for you and me and for them. I have in my life witnessed people who were oblivious to the working of God. I have I've seen people who were obviously healed by Jesus because the church was praying and they wanted no part of it. I actually had a guy one time we'd been praying together and he's had this terrible problem and he was healed. And I said, let's stop and give God thanks for this. Let's thank God together. He goes, why? I didn't see God here. He didn't do anything. In verse 23b, had the people of Sodom, think about that, experienced what God had shown through Jesus, they would also have repented. And they would still be a city on the southern tip of the, of the Dead Sea. Sodom, Really? They were so wicked that the Bible says God rained down fire and brimstone on them to show people on the face of the earth what hell looks like in, in hell 
and we have we have uh, we have all kinds of fire and brimstone and the smell of sulfur right there in Sodom. And you're telling me that Capernaum is worse than that? Jesus uh, is exactly saying that. Ow. They were the quintessential example of what not to be. They're mentioned all kinds of times in the Bible about don't be like Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness is there. It just went berserk. And if you're uh, too young to know what berserk means, uh, it went viral. This would be like God comparing Smith Center to, God forbid, Las Vegas or Hollywood. I picked two of the most evil places I could think of. Think about this. God could have displayed great miracles in those wicked cities, but he didn't. Verse 24, be that as it is, it will be more tolerable for Sodom. Why? Because they didn't have the witness. They didn't have the word. They didn't have the testimony that Capernaum had. And it's going to be better for them in judgment when the smoke of judgment clears. So why is it more tolerable for such a wicked city? Now, this is where it's going to get personal, okay? This is where we need to, we need to think. It is because it did not have the great testimony of who God is that Capernaum had. See the difference? Jesus lived at times in Capernaum. He, made, he did all kinds of miracles there. He made people hear the truth of the word of God. He talked in their synagogue. <laughs> and they still didn't believe and they didn't listen. They had everything they needed and they didn't listen and they didn't believe. Everything they needed. What did Sodom have? They had Lot and his family were scared to death of everybody and spent most of their time away from everybody and locked in the house. Because the Bible says, uh, let's see it in Luke 12. If you have one of those remote things on your phone to turn your oven down a little, just turn it back just a little. I may go over here just a little. Luke 12, 27 through 48. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Yeah, 47 to 48. Let me read that. 47 to 48. And the slave who knew his master's will, Jesus in a parable, and did not get ready and act in accord with his will, will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it, in other words, did not know his master's will, and committed deeds worthy of a flogging, will receive but a few. See, he still gets punished. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrust much... Of him, they will ask more. Get that? That's why James said in James chapter 3, verse 1, let's not let many of us become teachers, my brothers, knowing as such you incur a stricter judgment. Hmm. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. Now, that does not mean run out and don't know anything. So here it is. Judgment is harsher for those who have had more revelation would you stop and think about that with me? Because I thought about it. Tell me who on planet Earth, in all of history, has had more revelation than anyone else? That's us. We have the testimony of all of his miracles. All, people back then, Jesus, they didn't even have that. Sometimes people didn't know what happened in Bethsaida that happened in Capernaum. We have it all. We have the complete word of God. We have the spirit of God indwelling us. Who is more responsible in planet Earth than us? How? 
Who has more proof of God and his gospel than us? I don't think anybody. We live in a day and age where Christian literature is more available than it's ever been available anywhere on earth for any time, an abundance of it. We have more books and stuff in our libraries, more Bible studies than anybody's ever had. Are we doing that much better? We, we each have to answer that for ourselves, right? And so God is going to judge appropriately. Um, I don't know if I found this somewhere or if I made it up, but what we call that is proportional accountability. And that seems to be the issue, proportional accountability. It doesn't mean stop coming to church and stop learning because you don't want to be more responsible and get a stricter judgment. That's, that's my plug to just keep coming. Now, and by way of application, then we'll get to our communion. Number one, whether I am a liar or a murderer, either, either will land me in hell as a sinner. But judgment in hell will have the guideline of justice that the judgment will fit the crime. It's still fire, it's still brimstone, but there can be worse judgments in hell and lesser. Number two, we are those to whom much has been given. Therefore, much will be required of us as well. Number three, we must grasp the point of God's miracles and make appropriate decisions. In other words, trust Jesus as your savior if you haven't. And then, Number four, Jesus will never say woe to you if you believe and then live your life for him. That's the issue. Well, thanks for hanging in there with me. Uh, why don't we just, I don't know, let's go to, how about, how about Mark 14? Verse 22. Now, we are going to do this again at sunrise service. I hope you'll be there for that. But it's our tradition to do it at the first of the month. Verse 22 says, While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, Take it. This is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. How many of you were here Wednesday night? Fantastic. What's the name of this cup? The cup of what? Redemption. Four cups. It's the third cup Jesus used, the cup of redemption. I want you to remember that as we think about uh, what we're doing here in commemorating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, please take this with us. It's for you. You don't have to be a member of our church. And what's going to happen is I think I'll start and have Becky play so we can pray uh, to our, in ourselves to God. And then I'll have uh, Randy uh, pray for the bread, and then we'll continue on. So, Becky, if you would, please.
Let's prepare to take the bread together. If you're doing this, you're saying that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You belong to him. Now together, we're going to use this symbol to remember what he did for us on the cross and look forward to the time when we'll have this again with him in his kingdom. So do this in remembrance of him. Do you want to lead us for the cup, please? prepare to take the juice together. This juice represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who washes away the sins of the world. If you've trusted in him as your Savior, do this in remembrance of him. morning by opening our hymns to number 97. Please stand with us and sing all hail the power of Jesus name. Again it's hymn number 97 and we're going to sing verses 1 and 4. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for what you've done for us through your Son, through his going to the cross and shedding his blood on our behalf. We just thank you for the redemption that we receive through that. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.